Welcome to London Calling EU, a podcast from the EU delegation here in the UK, in which we look at this new post-Brexit relationship with a new lens and demonstrate that there is life beyond Brexit. Last week we looked at climate change and how the EU and UK were pretty much on the same page at the COP26 conference in Glasgow. Today we're going to look at cuisine. London. 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 London? Yes, London. You know, fish, chips, cup of tea, bad food, worse weather, Mary Poppins, London. There's something magical about London. Um, Every time I fly home, um, it gives me that sense of excitement, proudness. It never sleeps. It's never been as exciting as it is currently. From a chef's point of view, for me personally, it's one of the best cities anywhere in the world to come and eat now. That was, of course, Gordon Ramsay, and before him, a cheeky snippet from the movie Snatch. There definitely was a time when the stereotype of Britain was bowler hats, bad weather and even worse food. The infamous cartoon of European stereotypes from a few decades ago certainly used to think that Brits survived on a diet of fish and chips as well as warm beer and that there were no good restaurants here at all. Well, that is certainly not the case now. Visitors here are amazed at the number and variety of quality restaurants. It has the seventh highest number of Michelin-starred eateries in the world. Today, we're going to look at the influence that Europe has had on British cuisine and taste. We're joined on this podcast by two of the best-known European chefs and restaurateurs and business people operating in Britain. Pascal Ausignac is French and owns and cooks at the very highly regarded Club Gascon chain of restaurants, which also includes the Bistro Comtois Gascon, Sigalon, Barigny, as well as two French-themed bars, all in London. Hello. Also joining us down the line, uh, we are thrilled to welcome Nicola Farinetti. By the way, you can hear um, chairs being moved around because Pascal is in his restaurant to prove that we are in the restaurant business. Um, Nicola Farinetti from Eat Ali. Do you see what I did there? The global dining and shopping experience for anyone who likes Italian food and culture. And I counted, Nicola, 16 different countries in which there is an Italy. Is that true? That is true. Well done. Well, I hope you're going to open up one in my native Ireland at some stage. And for her assessment, from the British point of view, we have Kate Nichols from UK Hospitality. Can I start with you, Pascal? I'm going to go to you in your restaurant now in London and ask you, what reputation did Britain have a few decades ago when it came to food? Wow. That's a good question. Uh, from the French French eye point of view, uh, not ter- not great moment. I will say that was kind of terrible, like the weather. Um, <laughs> apart from the uh, highly respected Gavroche, uh, which uh, uh, crossed the bridge uh, to France in terms of name, uh, and maybe mm-hmm. and potentially the Connaught Hotel, that was the only two addresses or two places which we knew from France. Uh, Le Manoir Saison as well. But apart from that, um, at that time, uh, even Gordon Ramsay was not on the map of, of, the, of the French uh, situation when I did my training in France. Nicola, let me ask the same question. You're a very young man, but your dad, when he started the business, Italy, a few years ago, did he ever say to you, um, Oscar Farinetti, why? or what the reputation was in Britain. I know that Italy is fairly new in London, but uh, were you aware of this reputation for poor cuisine or cucina? 
the cuisine of Great Britain has always been horrible in our mind, but uh, not their taste and their vision for food. Because there are many histories back in the days, if you can look at uh, Marsala wine from Sicily, where the Brits people had a lot to do with the production and the success. The cuisine has never been appreciated, but their business mind and willing to enjoy other country products has always been very highlighted in our produce history. I'll come back to that in a moment, Nicola. I'm going to ask Kate Nichols now, um, what was the reputation a few years ago? You've heard two perspectives there, Kate. Are they fair or unfair from a few decades ago? I don't think it's an unfair stereotype, but I think it does relate to earlier in that perception that Britain wasn't a food destination, had a, a hangover that lasted longer than, than it deserved. But certainly the transformation since the 80s and 90s has been dramatic. And now when you look at the, the casual dining scene, uh, the street food scene that we've got, the entrepreneurial areas of, of the market that come up, we have the most diverse, most eclectic, most innovative food environment within the world. And, you know, a rightful reputation as, as for London as being a world-class capital for eating and drinking out. Pascal, I read somewhere that you moved to London because you couldn't get the finance in France. Absolutely. I moved, I moved to London by frustration, uh, not by the love of going to London, it was my dream was to open a restaurant in Paris when I was 25. Um, and at that time, the bank uh, didn't allow me to set up this dream uh, because I didn't have enough money and they wanted warranties for my family, which I did not have. So I decided to quit the country and uh, to move to Europe. <laughs> UK was still in Europe uh, and uh, and to not, not especially London, but uh, with my business partner, which was on the, on the move at that time as well. We, we, we joined forces and we decided we are both from south, southwest of France and we decided to set up a restaurant in Europe. And, um, and actually, uh, that is back to 1996, where uh, we did a comparison of uh, capitals of Europe and London won. And this is why we moved to London. And two years later, in 98, we opened... Uh, what is Club Gascon uh, still now? And when you opened up Pascal and you opened up um, a quality French restaurant, not not a cheap French restaurant, um, was, or were you worried that there weren't enough people interested in quality French food to make a profit? Uh, let's say differently. We moved to London because we saw that uh, there was an audience for a type of cuisine which we are doing. We are French, but we are French specialized in food from Gascony which means uh, at that time only Pierre Kaufman was there uh, as, as, uh, la, with La Tante Claire and he was on the uh, end of, uh, on the time where he, is going, he was going to sell the restaurant to Gordon Ramsay actually. So uh, for the city like London, which so many British which goes to Gascony to, for holiday and having a love, a love of uh, this type of cuisine, we, we thought that it was a good angle to, to come to London and to do something slightly different, so giving the flavors of Gascony, but on a very different twist in terms of uh, format, in terms of uh, deliverance. I'm going to come back to Nicola. Your, your business, Italy, only opened up 
in the last few months, you could say. So Pascal has 25 years of experience. You have one and a bit years, including a pandemic. How's it been? <laughs> it's been great. I think Pascal's story is very much what happened in the last 15, 20 years of England no? and British in general and UK in general because the business opportunity is there. Uh, people are curious, they travel, and uh, that type of customers knows very well French or Italian food. And all they're asking for is where do I get authenticity? I would like to try the same food that I had in Rome with my wife or my boyfriend and so forth. And so this is what we have been doing with my company through Europe and the rest of the world. Try to bring Italian authenticity. And I think we have seen that in London. In, and I know London more than many other cities within the UK. And you can find a lot of authenticity. Pascal is a, is a perfect example, but it was one of the first, right? Uh, but many uh, in the last few years. And I think that is because, to answer your question, uh, there is curiosity. Uh, people are willing to try a new thing. And today, I think authenticity is paying. So our business is doing well because we are doing exactly what we do in our own country. And we try not to adjust too much to the customers. Let's talk about why things changed. It's a very good starting point for Pascal, 1996. Why would you think that British people have changed their attitude towards quality food, sometimes expensive food, but certainly quality food? What would you put it down to? Did, for example, the arrival of Italian, French, Spanish, Dutch, German, Greek immigrants into Britain. Did that play a role? Oh, absolutely. But I do think that, uh, first of all, British people are travelers. They travel the world. And uh, each time they are holiday time, they are taking a flight or whatever. They, they cross the border to visit Europe or going beyond. So it means that they, and this, and this splash the money as well. So they can afford to go to ski resort, they can afford to go to Spain, to whatever country for the pleasure. Uh, and, and obviously, this is a, a challenging your taste bud, and you don't have fish and chip there. So, or, so you need to to uh, try to find some new things and to test your new things. So, when you have a, a restaurant coming to London, because London is so vast uh, and and so big, so it's it's linked to villages. And obviously, when you have one restaurant which is successful, which is maybe uh, like a specific restaurant, uh, let's say. Okay, let's say an Italian restaurant. You have a cuisine from Napoli, but you have cuisine from Rome and you have cuisine from Milano and all of them is Italian. But that's what London proposes and what restaurants are, can be. They can be specialized in from one country uh, to different region. And, and this is a, the, the beauty of it because sometimes maybe you can eat even better in London than in uh, Italy. Or in France, you know, that's that's the funny thing. When I see some restaurant like Japanese restaurant, uh, there is one uh, near in Mayfair, which is specialized in food from Kyoto. And you're like, okay, this is 24,000 kilometers. And you're like, okay, you are in London and you have a specific restaurant from Kyoto. Not Japanese, Kyoto. I'm like, it's, it's quite amazing to get that in London. So year after year, you have seen... For me, living in, in this country since 
over two, uh, two decades, I have seen a massive, of course, evolution, not only me, but uh, the, the, the trend, the, the evolution of the restaurant world in London and, and not only London, in the countryside as well, the, with the pubs, has been in, incredible, uh, much more intense than we can get in France, because in France, it's a cultural thing, traditional. We have always had trendy restaurants, new restaurants, but in London, in 20 years, the, 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 the restaurant scene has been completely transformed from scratch. That's true. Uh, and I wonder, uh, Kate Nichols from UK Hospitality, whether we could thank Ryanair and EasyJet for providing cheap flights so that people can get all over the continent. Whereas before, maybe flying 25 years ago was an expensive business when Pascal first came to London. Whereas now it's it's quite cheap to get all over the continent. I think it's difficult to separate the the two, really. I think, you know, the British palate has become undoubtedly more adventurous um, and more discerning and more demanding. It's not just in the flavour of the food, the quality of the food, the different types of ingredients and cuisine. It's also in the standards of service that we expect and the way that we eat out. So, you know, over the course of, of, of time, since the 80s, you've seen that more casual environment for eating and drinking out. You've, you've seen a, a, a democratization of fine dining with far more people going to eat out on a more regular basis. And undoubtedly, travel broadens the taste buds as well as the mind. And it's also broadened the, the skill base of our chefs. So they are also traveling. They are also visiting the world's best restaurants, being trained in the world's best restaurants and coming back to the UK. So that melting pot of diversity, that, that immigration brings uh, and that has brought uh, over the course of the, the last couple of decades um, cannot be overestimated in, in our cuisines and in, in, in our, our restaurant scene. Pascal, I don't want to get too political about this, but do you think the, the end of free movement of people from continental Europe will affect cuisines or restaurants opening up uh, in Britain? I do think that uh, since the uh, Brexit is on and specifically since the business is a type of back uh, and we are located in the city, so now the city is back since September, uh, we have a staff shortage like most of the trades. Um, and if there is no uh, new type of rule coming in the coming months from the government, we are going to struggle more and more to get, uh, uh, I will say, professional people from Europe uh, delivering delivering uh, what we try to achieve in this country, definitely, is going to be, uh, we are on a, on a trouble for the next coming months, I think. Nicola, let me ask you a similar question, if I may. You import a lot of food from Italy into Italy uh, in Bishopsgate in central London. Is that now more difficult since Britain left the single market? It, it is more difficult, uh, mostly because of uh, paperwork. Uh, and, and, and paperwork at certain degrees becomes unbearable, especially on small producers. And so uh, definitely we raise some cost and maybe decrease some quality in the long term. Uh, but I do agree 100% with Pascal. Uh, on a long term, uh, the non-free of people will definitely decrease the authenticity of the place, will definitely decrease uh, the number of very peculiar restaurants that you can have. And at, 
with that, not having as many Italian, French, Spanish, uh, and you name it, on the floor will also decrease the use of authentic product because uh, I'm sure Pascal has a very different understanding of what uh, a French ingredient is when he does a certain recipe and when he uses a local ingredients as well. I'm sure he uses many. Uh, but then if you, if you lose that touch, eventually you lose some authenticity. So for sure, this is going to decrease that, but it just started. And there's always opportunity for countries to get back together, do better deals, understand how to change things for the future. So I'm still very optimistic. Okay, well, let me put the same question to uh, Kate Nichols from UK Hospitality. Kate? It, it is a cause for concern because obviously, uh, you know, when we are seen as a food capital, a food destination, particularly London, I'm thinking about here, we do attract the best to come over, the best in, in front of house service, the best restaurant managers, the best hotel GMs, the best chefs. They are critical for training up our next generation of homegrown talent. So it is the mentorship and, and the ability to go into local catering colleges and inspire the generation of the future. That's what we lose out when these people don't come to the UK. And I think the, the the change to freedom of movement makes it much less likely that they will come to the UK in the foreseeable future. It, it may change over time, but COVID travel restrictions mean that it, it's much more challenging now. And that means we, we lose out on that talent pipeline. We have a hiatus in the talent pipeline. Um, and, and we also lose that creative spark that you get from people moving around the globe uh, and choosing to come to, to work in the Ritz or to go to Paris or to go to Denmark, you know, those, those equal food capitals. You want movement and flow of creativity, not just of people. No matter where in the world you've visited, you will always find a restaurant from that country uh, in London. That's totally true. Uh, as, as someone who's an Irishman who moved here 20 years ago, um, uh, Pascal, does it work the other way? Does British culture and cuisine also influence people in France and Italy and Poland. We know that the British media is everywhere. We know that the English language is everywhere. But does British cuisine, has it made any impact at all? I think so. Um, it's not so easy for me to answer to this question in, even so, because I am a Frenchman based in London. Uh, so I see my eyes are more focused on uh, what I provide as a European in London and try to be as much as authentic as Nicolai does. But I will say that if I like, when I go to Paris, or if I, what I see or read from things which are coming in Paris at the moment, um, and I can think of a chef called uh, Grégory Marchand from Frenchie, who, who goes who does restaurant both sides of the uh, channel, uh, and he introduced to the Parisian culture some kind of... Uh, uh, English cuisine, uh, you know, funky, funky English cuisine to the uh, Parisian style. So I'm not saying it's more like a niche. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be spread all over, but um, he has a kind of a good, uh, I would say, a good reaction. You know, it's quite a rock and roll attitude. Everything coming from UK side to, to the Parisian way is always rock and roll. It's, al it's always fun. I'm not saying they are taking it too seriously. But uh, I think they are taking this kind of uh, uh, good uh, style. Well, let me ask uh, Kate Nichols from UK Hospitality. Does UK culture influence Europe, be that food or the rock and roll culture that we've just heard from Pascal? 
Yeah, I think what you're, what you're seeing is really exciting at the moment. I mean, the biggest export that we've got, tourism, is our third largest export earner. Foreign visitors spend more eating and drinking out in the UK than all of our food and drink exports put together. But crucially, coming to our restaurants is a literal shop window for our food and drink exporters, our wine, our cheeses, our meats. So people do take that back. Um, but but also you are seeing the export. You know, you've got Hawksmoor opening in New York. You've got uh, Pret opening across the States. You've got uh, people opening in Europe as well. Uh, so we are seeing an export of our creativity and talent. Uh, and also, you know, over the course of the last couple of decades, I regularly go to the restaurant show in Chicago, uh, to New York on study tours across the globe. We used to go to Chicago to see what the next big trend is. Now people are coming to London to see what the next big trend is. And there's nothing better than we've got in London, the best bars, the best restaurants. You can see that coming through. And of course, Nicola, it's it's not just French and Italian. They may be the two biggest cuisines uh, in Britain. We've also seen a huge rise in tapas bars, um, German beer halls, uh, German strudel, Hungarian goulash, Swedish rye bread, Greek kleftiko, and even Finnish reindeer. In other words, uh, the choice and variety is huge especially in a global city like London. It's amazing. I use London as my Spanish restaurant town because I have some um, good French restaurant that I try every time that I go to Paris to visit my Paris store. I don't have a, a, rest, a, a store in Spain, unfortunately. So when I am in London, I do a lot of uh, Spanish eating. Uh, you really find everything. I lived in New York uh, on and off for almost 10 years. And uh, many, many people consider New York the best restaurant city in the world. And I always disagreed. I always found London better, more interesting, more diversity, more authenticity. And uh, I think it's incredible how you have seen it also through the pandemic because the vastity of the menu that you could find on the delivery app, it's something I've never seen anywhere else in the world. You could really eat a different meal every single day for months. Well, that brings to a close our podcast. I'd like to thank all my guests, um, Kate Nichols from UK Hospitality, Pascal Ausignac from Club Gascon, and Nicola Farinetti from the Italy chain. Eat Tali, I had to pronounce it correctly, chain of supermarkets and restaurants. Uh, stay tuned for the next podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to London Calling EU wherever you get your podcasts. Smash that subscribe button, as teenagers might say. I'm not sure I would. So, from Pascal. Merci. Bye bye. Kate. Bonjour, Pascal. Ciao, Nicola. Ciao. From me, Joe Lynham. Ciao for now. <laughs>